All right, 18 after 10, we're getting into our conversation for this hour. We're focusing on um, the social impact of climate change. Let me welcome onto the show Melissa Groening, who is the Program Manager and Attorney at Natural Justice. Melissa, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you for having me here. And also just for the purposes of our listeners, you're currently uh, involved in the litigation against the car power ships? No, we're supporting litigation against the ESCOM gas fired power station in Richards Bay. All right. As well as some offshore as well as the offshore exploration proposals. All right. Thanks for that clarity, Melissa. So it's not car power ships, but rather the project that uh, has been earmarked for Richards Bay, among others. Uh, Rendani Ninguda is a research associate at the Oppenheimer Generations Research and Conservation. Uh, Rendani, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy. Thanks for having me. And Francesca de Gasbaris is Executive Director for SAFSI. Uh, Francesca, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. You know, I was I was telling the listeners that uh, it was coincidental that we had planned this conversation for today. And on our breakfast show, SFM Sunrise this morning, there was a big debate about climate change and lots of listeners also calling in, talking about the fact that they don't actually believe in the fact that, um, you know, there is climate change or the idea of, um, you know, the, the globe getting warmer is just part of evolution of weather patterns, not necessarily that we can call it climate change. Either way, the conversation is really about the kind of impact that we see the environment in which we live going through as a result of all of this human activity that is taking place. Melissa, how would you sort of round up the the issues that are stemming from climate change, especially in an environment where not everybody actually believes in the fact that climate change is something that's real? Kathy, I think one of the, the starting points in, in any of these applications or any of these proposals, um, whether it's sort of offshore exploration, if it's uh, exploration for oil and gas uh, on land, or for these gas-fired power stations, you know, the car power ships included, is that you need to listen and to hear from those affected communities. And this has been an issue that has come up in a number of of the court cases, including the, the ESCOM gas-fired power station, including the, the offshore applications by Shell, by Search of Seismic, um, by Sassel and any. And you know, without even hearing from the communities that will be most impacted by the proposals, it's very difficult to understand and to evaluate those impacts against any um, ostensible benefits that it might be proposed. So that is the starting point is to consult, to hear, to listen to those communities. And when we consider you know, that it is the rural communities, it is communities that are, uh, yeah, the other communities that might be disadvantaged that are most impacted by the effects of climate change, it's even more important that we make special provision to hear from those communities to hear what how they will be impacted and to to bring those impacts into to the assess the overall assessment so that that is that is the starting point really mm-hmm. of course there are you know we are already seeing 
climate change impacts and uh, I'm sure what we, the panelists today are not going to debate whether climate change exists or whether it's human induced because I think we are all on the same page that it, that it is. And, and so we really need to, you know, think about, think about those impacts, hear from those communities and understand that as we are seeing the effects today, it is only going to increase and, and get worse and it is those communities, uh, particularly where their livelihoods are reliant on the land or reliant on resources, who will be most impacted. Mm. In, in a moment, I want us to, to break down just what we mean when we talk about effects of climate change, especially in communities, how those often uh, play themselves out. But, but Rendani, let me give you a chance to come in here. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, when it comes to how we relay the conversation around climate change, I think it's also about not talking amongst ourselves because I think as scientists, we're very good at talking amongst ourselves and then talking amongst ourselves. When you do go out into the community, you're not very good at articulating ourselves in a way where there is an understanding from local communities and also understanding that you're also there to learn from the communities. It's not Mm. just you going with all your knowledge and saying, this is what's happening, so this is it, and you guys are going to take everything I have to say about it. There's so much that people can learn from indigenous knowledge systems. It's not just about our knowledge. It's also about the knowledge that other people have on the ground because they're they're more in touch with their natural ecosystem. They interact with it on a daily basis, and therefore they would be able to recognize the changes sooner than we would, even with our fancy models. So I think it's about having that conversation, and I think it's also about explaining it in a way where it's not, because we almost always explain it, and I know it's an urgent issue, but don't use fear to drive change. I think use understanding to drive change, but not necessarily fear, because people are right in saying that climate has always been changing. Yes, it has always been changing, but because of certain human activities, it is changing at a rate where the earth can't keep up. I almost liken it to a human body. It's You know your heart's always beating, and you know your heartbeat changes as you run or you take part in different activities. But if you keep on pumping adrenaline into the system, at some point your heart won't be able to keep up, and it will just send your whole body into distress. So that is the case of climate change. It's the earth going into the stress because we keep on pumping adrenaline, which in our case would be carbon dioxide and other, and also land cover change into the system that's driving this change. Yeah. I, I, I love that, that example that, that you've given, Rendani, because it really paints um, s- such a clear picture of, of what it is that, um, th- that we really are, are talking about when it comes to um, particularly the impact of climate change, right, that you can see the result of it, uh, even yeah. though you might not agree that the, the phenomena behind it is, in fact, climate change. Francesca? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of misinformation out there about climate change. I think, as the previous speakers have spoken about, there's a lot of fear around the issue and a lot of natural human urge to sort of ignore it or um, just try and pretend it doesn't exist until it's absolutely proven. Unfortunately, like most things, by that point, it's too late. So my preference in, 
in when we talk about things that are complex and often beyond really our sort of um, normal area of expertise. So, for example, if you're not feeling well, if you've got that fever or you're, you know, you're not doing well, you go to the doctor and the doctor will look at your health and help you to hopefully feel better. Um, it's a similar thing with climate change. Climate scientists have been studying this for decades. I mean, a really long time, from the 1970s. This isn't a new phenomenon, um, but it's a phenomenon that is now affecting all of our daily lives. And unfortunately, you will always get people who are skeptics, um, but they uh, probably, uh, I would say, aren't climate scientists. Uh, I don't know of any in the world that are skeptical about the fact that we're experiencing climate change. And really what this is now is a socioeconomic problem. It's not just about uh, environmentalists uh, being concerned or people who visit the, the solar, the poles of the world who see the, the big ice sheets melting. It's actually starting to affect our daily lives. Just like we can see the war in, in Ukraine is affecting the cost of food, so we can see when you have extreme weather events like the huge floods in KwaZulu-Natal, um, the kinds of extreme heat waves we're seeing in Europe just right now, the severe droughts that we've had in the Eastern Cape and Karoo, then we know when those events start happening more and more frequently, that's climate change. So if it's outside the normal ken of what we've experienced before, and, and to be honest, people who are farmers and who don't necessarily have academic qualifications will tell you that they've seen the weather systems changing. They'll tell you that it's becoming more and more difficult to grow certain crops and that water is becoming much scarcer and so on. All of this is the daily reality of climate change. So I think it often is those with vested interests, um, possibly from oil and gas lobbyists who are interested in telling us, oh, no, that's not a big deal. Now, if we're listening to those people, then we're going to find ourselves in a very serious uh, problem because the reality is is that it is here, it is happening, it's only going to get worse. Um, the UK recorded its highest temperature ever this summer, and they're already in their second heat wave of the summer. And that's a, a very cold, rainy island. So um, we have got a serious problem on our hands. Um, but on the very positive side, a lot of people, and as I said, you don't have to be a climate scientist to get on board and start taking action on uh, to address climate change. All right. Th th thanks for that contribution, Francesca. In a moment, of course, we'll continue this conversation with our guests and get into some of the nitty gritties, right? When we talk about impact of climate change and perhaps the effects that this is having in communities, what are the stories of communities about how the environments are changing, about how the natural ecosystems are changing that really should make all of us pay attention and ask, well, what do we need to be doing differently or what can um, we be doing differently? Um, and this is really so that we have uh, different outcomes that don't result in this socioeconomic impact um, that we're being told about today. For now, it's 10.30. Luyanda is standing by with your latest headlines. We'll continue the conversation after this. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. 
We continue the conversation then focusing on the social impact and the economic impact of climate change. Uh, Melissa, you kicked us off in this conversation, I think, with something that's really important. And it's about listening to communities and what they have to say about the impact of certain activities on their natural ecosystems and how that is affecting their way of life. Uh, you know, and, and, and I think that's important because it says that the effects of climate change are not necessarily things that we have to argue about because those are our experiences that are being felt. Uh, what are some of the examples that you can point us to um, in, in, in a country like South Africa? Okay, thanks. I, I think, you know, one of the things I can and start off um, this answer by saying is that, you know, the specific climate uh, impacting activities don't necessarily have its effect only on, you know, the most local community. And the movement, you know, the climate justice movement is a global one in that, you know, the greenhouse gas emissions aren't going to affect any one specific community, but adds to the global impacts of what we felt all over the world. So, you know, activities that are happening in, in other countries will also ultimately be felt by our own communities. And Francesca has already mentioned some of the impacts that we are currently feeling in South African communities. Um, people are feeling them already, you know, the, the floods in KZN, um, floods moving into the Western Cape, the ongoing extreme drought in the Eastern Cape. Um, and, you know, really the, the crux, the most basic of these impacts is, is about water and food resources. And there are many other impacts, but I, I just want to focus uh, to start off with uh, about these impacts on food and water, because when we don't have food and water, that will lead to a, a myriad of other uh, other impacts, you know, social impacts in communities, people moving from land that was previously usable, previously yield producing land that will no longer be useful, and people will start moving into community uh, into cities and the increasing pressure on cities and on urban areas is also going to you know, put a lot of pressure on the resources that are available. So not only do we have less resources uh, to rely on, but where, where, where we do have these resources available, there will be increasing demand for that. And, and, and essentially um, people will be losing out uh, on these resources. So it's really important that we take very specific action to protect our food and, and water resources and, and, and in doing so, uh, try to protect our communities and our people from the other impacts that arise from there, both socially and economically. Mm. Uh, of course, often an argument that, that is made, uh, Melissa, when we talk about even the, the, the examples you gave earlier around exploration, um, potential exploration taking place, fracking, et cetera, et cetera, is that these are um, technological or industrial advancements that are going to help improve the quality of life of people. They're going to create access um, to certain stratas of, of the economy uh, for certain people and almost um, like the outcome then will 
outweighs the, the impact or the cost of what that outcome will be. Kathy, with respect, I wouldn't agree with that um, submission. You see, we really have to focus on resources that are going to provide us with a future that is sustainable, with the future where we have food and water. And we need to develop those technologies and move away from reliance on these fossil fuel resources. So fracking in the interior of our country, exploration in our oceans, they are not the, they are not the way forward either environmentally, economically, or, or socially. We have a huge supply of renewable resources that we can rely on, on particularly for energy. And just recently, in fact, I was reading about it this morning, is that a, a review of all the published research, uh, in fact, there's almost 500 references in this particular scientific paper that was released at the end of, of July, unequivocally shows us that we can rely on 100% renewables for our power around the world. So not only can we not afford from a climate perspective to keep exploiting our fossil fuel resources, we need to keep those in the ground, but it also does not make sense from an economic perspective, particularly taking into account the social costs um, arising uh, from those activities. Mm. Rendani, let me come to you and, and again give you an opportunity perhaps just to add on this question of um, the, the social and the economic impacts in communities that we're seeing. Um, I think to add, also my point would kind of lean more on urban communities because often when we think climate change, we only think rural livers, but we don't really think of the downstream effects of climate change on urban communities, especially those that are situated on the peripheries of these big cities and these big hubs. I mean, um, South Africa is a really water-scarce country, as we speak, and most of the water that we do get, for instance, in Johannesburg comes from the Highlands Project. With climate change and uh, temperatures expected to exceed 2 degrees Celsius, we are expected to see um, more occurrent uh, droughts, so more instances of droughts happening within the country. And that means that food production is highly likely to be affected, and if food production is affected, it means by the time that the food gets to the city, the food prices are shockingly high. And often there are families that do not have the different types of capital, like those living in rural areas where you have the social, the, the natural capital, and so on and so forth. Often households living within the cities simply rely on financial capital. And if your food prices are high and you rely on financial capital, you're in an even more vulnerable position when it comes to food security as a result of climate change. But often when we think climate change, we don't think food price hikes. Another issue that will arise is the spread of vector-borne diseases such as malaria, um, we most most scientists know that um, the range of malaria mosquitoes is spreading as temperatures increase. So that increases the vulnerability to communities who live in remote areas, and it means a greater number of individuals will be affected as the spread as 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 these vectors spread even wider, given that the temperatures would be increasing beyond their normal ranges. 
So it, this, this is just, these are just a few examples of the impact of climate change on communities. Uh, thanks for that, Rindani. I'm going to take a quick break and then, Francesca, I'll give you a chance to come in and we'll talk then about what it is that communities can be doing to conscientize themselves, become more aware of what is happening and, most importantly, how to get involved. We continue the conversation on the talking point. We're looking at the social and economic impact of climate change. Uh, Francesca, let me come to you, give you a chance to come in before uh, we move on to the next aspect of our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you were mentioning before the break, what can communities do? Um, and I think, firstly, um, when you are in a community, even though we have a global problem, always know that there's something you can do to take action locally. And there's so much we can do to address climate change. In a way, because climate change speaks to our very way of life, so we can make very simple changes that will have an impact. So in terms of our own personal lives, there's lots we can do. Um, in terms of just turning our lights off, we'll save money, we'll save electricity. Um, South Africa is in an energy crisis, so the less energy we use, the more there will be for everyone else. So really having a community spirit. Um, what we eat is super important. Unfortunately, our food systems are very industrialized, which means we use a lot of fossil fuels, which contribute to climate change. So we can think about um, where we get our food from. Growing your own is one of the cheapest and best ways to do that. So, And anyone can grow something as long as you have a pot, um, and you can get some soil and seeds. Uh, you can grow uh, even just some nice nutritious um, leaves, which will really help you and your family's nutrition. Um, in terms of sort of more community-oriented things, I think it's really important that while some people are cl climate skeptics, we don't have to spend all our time trying to persuade everyone, but we do want leadership in communities to understand the severity of climate change. Unfortunately, most of them do. Um, Sassy, we work specifically with faith communities, so you can um, raise um, climate change or environmental issues as an issue within your church or in within your faith structure and ask them to take it up and make it an action that they can take, uh, ways of supporting the community to have access to food and other things. Um, faith grounds are fantastic places to store water. For example, if you want to do growing and water is really expensive, you can get some storage tanks in that kind of complex. And faith communities often have big pieces of land that you can do things with. It's very important to keep educating ourselves and to keep up with the news on climate change. Um, there's, it's not all bad news. There's lots of really exciting data around what's happening with renewable energy. And I'm hoping after the president's announcement a few weeks ago, we're going to see the price of renewable energy, including solar, coming down so it becomes affordable for households as well as faith institutions, schools, and others. There are grants you can get for these as well. So there are, there's lots that people in, can do in their communities. And, and I think that's also really important to to keep in mind, right, that, that, that the conversation around climate change is not one that has necessarily has to take place from 
um, the top down, if I can put it that way, because often we're, we're talking about, you know, whether it's uh, NGOs, big, um, you know, organizations, the UN, where we hear about the different summits that are being held. And it just sounds like it's so big and out of reach. And yet it very much is something that we as members of the community can be actively engaged in and be part of of, of those conversations. Randani? Um, for me, I'd kind of, without restructuring a question, I'd redefine what community is for me. Because mm. community is the research um, industry, the environmental researchers, like wearing this Oppenheimer Generations research and conservation hat on. I think Africa has this unique position where we have the opportunity to lead when it comes to what this, a sustainable society looks like and what climate change management looks like. Also, I mean, the initiative, running initiatives that would be adequate for the environment in which we operate. Because often most of the legislation that we're we um, adhering to when it comes to climate change does not come from the continent. It comes from the global north. And there's often the global north perspective that Africa is just this one big forest. And so the mitigation strategies are centered around forest management and planting trees, even though a bulk of the continent is made up of grasslands and savannas. Um, so how do you plant trees in a grassland and a savanna in a water-stressed continent already and ultimately affect the water cycle within that ecosystem? So I think we need more African scientists to take the lead when it comes to the climate conversation within the continent. We know our ecosystems and we know them better than anybody else. And we need to ensure that we build regulations that are beneficial for the African continent. And we do not uh, put ourselves in a position where we're waiting for solutions for our continent, but we need to be the ones that drive the solutions when it comes to mitigation and adaptation strategies with relation to climate change as the African science community. Mm. And, and, and Randani, what do you find are often the big challenges in putting together some of that research or in having that research being accepted um, as solid research? Because obviously, um, sometimes it's not following the the what would be considered the the formal scientific route in as far as what the observations are. It, it can be um, you know reduced to just being anecdotal and and really questioned you know in terms of its merit and yeah. its credibility. And the the interesting part is most of the aerator scientists within the climate space do come from Africa. We have a lot of people leading the space on the continent. We just need people to take African researchers more seriously. I mean, we have Dr. Mary Jane Bupape, who, with her team, are building the first South African climate model. So I think it's about, we have the capacity, but it's about building greater capacity, and it's about making sure that data is accessible on the continent because we do have a data accessibility problem on the continent. The data is there. We're just struggling to find, to know, like we, we don't know where to find it. And our scientists are credible and our scientists do represent the level or the standard of, sciences, of science happening at a global platform. We just need to find a way almost like 
how to how how to put it? You know how people say the U.S. is very good at PR. They know how to represent themselves well, and we as the African continent need to come to a point where we're good at our PR, but good at our PR knowing that we have substantial data to back up what we're saying, mm. and we do have that data. Yeah, it's such an important point you're raising, Grandani. Let me go to Cape Town. Ernest, good morning. Good morning. Hi, Ernest. Hi. Uh, Cathy, uh, I just want to comment on... on uh, uh, climate change. First of all, uh, climate change is a reality. Um, whether we uh, look at it in any way, we don't need scientists to tell us that, mm-hmm. first of all. Because scientists have been so wrong so many times. Um, you know, um, you know, they still believe in evolution. Um, if, if evolution has taken place, uh, that means we would have been something else by now. Um, so it shows you um, it's got nothing to do with, with, with scientists. In the book of Revelation, okay, it says that the sun will scorch people in the last days. Now, human has little impact. They have an impact, but we have little impact. It's not the first time climate change has taken place. If it was the first time, it would have been different. But it's not the first time. We will not get it out. Um, We're not going to stop it. It doesn't matter what measures we take. It's not going to stop um, Ernest, every Ernest, couple of million years. Uh, Ernest, every when, couple of million years, things will change. When, when, when else do you believe climate change has taken place? Climate change has taken place um, a long time ago. It's, it's not. It didn't happen yesterday. It, it is. It, it is. You know. It, it, it definitely didn't start with ESCOM. It definitely didn't start with fuel. But it added it. It, it added it more. You remember the ozone layer? Mm-hmm. Um, All right. So it didn't stop. It didn't stop there yesterday. It it, it has been there for thousands of years already. Every uh, uh, um, few million years, this will will go through changes. It has to. So so, so then so, so then what are you saying, Ernest? Are you are you saying that because of of what you believe um, is driving climate change or is not driving climate change, therefore there isn't a contribution that we as as humans no, play? No. no, we have a little contribution to it. I'm not saying we don't have. Mm. We have a little contribution to it. Mm-hmm. But not all of it. We're not, we're, not, we're not to blame for all of the, the, uh, the changes uh, of climate. What happened, Cathy, you must remember, first of all, where's the saturated? Where, where in the solar system are we saturated? And everyone that goes, every, every planet will go through bombardment or will go through some changes. And we will, are, are not left out. So it's not about the scientists. It's not about um, this one is telling you this and this is what will happen. It's going to happen because the Bible tells you so. Okay. It tells you everything you need to go. I don't know if people read the Bible, but please go in the book of Revelation and you'll see everything, even all the pestilence, sickness, and all of those things. It's nothing new. It's been there for millions of years before us. All right. So, all right, Ernest. We're going to have to leave it there for this morning. Ernest out in Cape Town. Um, let me just quickly check if any of my panelists want to uh, respond to Ernest. I would like to. Okay, I would like to go for it. Ernest. 
Um, I think, first of all, I think um, if you're going to use the Bible as a reference, you must understand that the Bible is about knowledge and applied wisdom. So um, as a human, you know you're going to die. But if you know you're going to die, you don't do you do you don't do everything in your power to make sure that you die. So there's a system that's already in place. We know how the system goes, but you're not going to now go and put yourself in a compromised position to increase the rate or the time or decrease the time in which you live on this earth. And I think it's the same when it comes to the logic of climate change. Yes, the climate has been changing, but because of human activities, it is changing at a faster rate where the system is unable to recover adequately. And that's the discussion we're having. We're not refuting the fact that climate change is always happening, but we're saying that right now, this is anthropogenic climate change, human-induced climate change that's happening at the rate that the Earth is not able to um, is not able to recover. And so when approaching climate change, don't think that scientists are coming and saying that. It's understanding that the world has operated like this for a long time. As the, I think it was the, 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 the last speaker had said, scientists have been studying how temperatures have changed over time. And they've noticed that now it's changing at a rate and in a manner that is unprecedented. And that is why it is a red flag for many scientists and not just scientists, people on the ground who are experiencing the impact of climate change. So we can't just sit around and watch this ship sink. We need to do anything in our power to ensure that we are not adding to the issue or not pouring water in the ship to make sure that it sinks faster. All right. Thanks Thanks for that response. I want to just take a couple of WhatsApp voice notes. Melissa, I know uh, I haven't heard from you in a bit, so I'll kick off with you after the voice notes. Hi, Makitis. Makitis. Good show always is deep here. Listen here, this climate change, blah, 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 it's a lot of halabaloo to me. You see, uh, like they say that we're not supposed to explore uh, crude oil, gas, and stuff like that. These crude oils, wherever they are coming, they are coming from another country, and the people, they are living in there. These gases, they are coming from other countries, and the people, they are living in there, fish, they are living in there. Here in Beaufort West, there is a gas. People, they demonstrated not to flick that, that gas. But look at the price of gas, how much is it? Look at the price of diesel, how much is it? Some countries, they are still pumping out that diesel, that crude oil, I mean to say, uh, Kathy. Please, man, let this Ohala Baloo to put aside and then we'll explore the oil and gas. Thank you. Greeting, Kathy, hearers of this station. You see, the impact of the climate change is too big. If I look it at the side of the beds, the beds that we used to have before we don't have it anymore now, like Amatiti Woye, Izinzingizi, Yes, Amalanda, we have, but you see it once in a blue moon. So the climate change is going to make a big damage to Sifrominanda. Bye. Melissa, let me come to you. A chance to respond to the voice notes? 
Thank you. Yeah, sure. Well, let me let me start by responding to the, the first voice note to say that, you know, I think if you go and speak to any of the communities in, in Mozambique or Nigeria or other countries where oil and gas ex, uh, exploitation has been rife, that you will not find that those are, are people living in a happy, clean, healthy environment. And, uh, you know, that, that, is, that is the potential for, for what can happen here as well. But we do have alternative resources. We have an abundance of clean and sustainable energy resources in the form of, of wind and solar in, in particular. And we have a very limited opportunity now in the next few years to address climate change, to make sure that the planet doesn't warm more than we can handle. But we have to take that action now. And we can take that action. Every community in this country can stand up for, for the climate, can stand up for themselves, can stand up for their future and the future of their children and the children's children. And it's quite evident that what we are seeing in the courts is somewhat of a reflection of what is happening on the ground. So this is not a matter that can only be solved in courts and or can be solved by the courts at all. But we need people to come together. And we saw a fantastic display of this in, uh, in relation to the Shell offshore um, exploration application and the end of uh, last year and beginning of this year, where people around the country from all different communities, all different faiths, all different backgrounds came together to say no to Shell. And that was heard in the courts. And in fact, the judge in the first uh, Shell judgment in the Grahamstown High Court said that the public interest in the matter was palpable. So this is not just about two different kinds of actions that can happen independently, but it's about people coming together, overcoming the differences to stand against the, the common, uh, against a common cause. And from a much more local perspective and in each community, you know, I think the first step is about firstly coming together to understand what climate change is and how it will impact your livelihoods, your community, your people. And once you have that understanding, you can then take actions, very specific actions, to make sure that your future is protected. And there are many things that you can do from a legal perspective, as well as from a, a non-legal perspective, you know, coming together to form these committees, taking note of traditional knowledge. And Rindani spoke earlier about indigenous knowledge systems being so important to this fight as well. You know, let's talk to the elders in the communities who might have experienced uh, you know, extreme events, droughts, floods in the past, and we can draw on that knowledge, and communities can draw on that knowledge as they face uh, increasing events like that All right. in the future. Melissa, we're going to have to leave it there for this morning. Melissa Hruning, she is the program manager and attorney at Natural Justice. Rendani Ninguda is research associate at the Oppenheimer Generations Research and Conservation. And you also heard from Francesca de Gasparis, who is executive director at SAFSI. We're going to have to leave it there with that conversation for this morning. It's now 11 o'clock.